Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, your online, somewhat regular, interactive magazine for hams, home brewers, and experimenters across the fruited plains. This is your co-host, George N2APB, and along with uh, me, of course, is the other co-host, Joe N2CX. We are pleased to bring you episode number 84 of Chat with the Designers, and this time we have the conclusion of the Elmer 101 series for constructing and aligning and using the Small Wonder Labs SW30 transceiver kit that we provided. We've been at this now for six installments. We wanted to go much more, but I think uh, we started combining things along the way based on the level of interest. We were hopping around at all different uh, different points in the process. There was just interest in the, in the different uh, sections of, of the project, so we were kind of, uh, kind of going with the flow, as we say. But now we are up to the final episode where we're combining the audio output and the transmitted output. The audio output stage the, to which you connect your headphones and the uh, the transmit final amplifier to which you connect the uh, antenna. In, included in those are a couple of extra little stages, but we'll get to that as we get through it here. This has been an overall step-by-step analysis and build-up of this classic design from K1SWL, Mr. Dave Benson from Small Wonder Labs, and it was an outgrowth. His, that project of his was an outgrowth of uh, his NN1G 40 meter. Oh boy, again, Joe, what was the name of that uh, the project back then? It was actually in the handbooks too. The original one was the NE4040, the um, New England QRP uh, kit rig. Oh, you are right there. Good memory. So uh, Dave ran this kit. Oh gosh, it had to. I should have all these things off the top of my head, but I don't. I think the the SW30 ran back in the 90s, maybe the early 2000s time frame, and it was a short run kit, as many of his uh, were. And we had an opportunity to, well, we, we, Joe and I contacted Dave and we said, Dave, wouldn't it be great if... And lo and behold, uh, Dave said, sure, you guys can uh, essentially do another run of the kit. And we did just that. We uh, It was a run of uh, just 100, and uh, they went very fast. And it was a kit of just the PCB and the off-board controllers, uh, controls, uh, you know, the, the pots and connectors and such. Along the way, of course, we had uh, a really nice red enclosure that surfaced from our, our good friend um, Craig, AA0ZZ. Craig Johnson has a really nifty technique of um, creating enclosures by means of printed circuit board layout that, that fit together tongue and groove, so to speak. And he used a technique that actually I'm following on some of my other projects, too, of using colored um, solder mask and then using white uh, silk screen for the labels. And as you can see, of course, from the pictures, those of you who have been following us all along, the, um, the results turned out really, really good. And we made uh, those enclosures available um, at a great price, I think. And, and um, Craig was selling those and, and uh, ultimately, too. I mean, there was such good interest in that <clears throat> and also in some of the accessories that can go along with the project that Craig was starting to sell and still is selling blank enclosures. Same red enclosures, with the, but without the pre-cut holes and without the silk screen, such that you can build your own stuff into the enclosure and have it be mating with the original SW30 enclosure of his. 
And uh, a bunch of us have done that. And I think uh, we'll chat a little bit about that toward the end. Um, there's uh, There were some interesting uh, approaches done. I see Dave AD7JT is here and Mike WA8BXN. Uh, two of our premier builders here in the group, they each have a version that uh, they've been building up. And you, I think I just documented my, my local version. I put, uh, one or two accessories in mine and, and photo, uh, put photos of it on the websites as we were having, um, the different episodes come along. So, um, kind of to that end, we, um, we said that we would have a contest for the best built SW30 kit um, and uh, maybe a category for the most accessorization and more uh, the different kinds of accessories that can go along with it. We introduced a uh, frequency mite from the four-state QRP group. Um, there's a keyer from, again, AA0ZZ, and one or two of us here in this group have have um, done our own versions of the keyers and installed them there too. And by the way, if you go down a little bit, Joe, to the anatomy of a homebrew station, that diagram, uh, you see various, all different ideas we talked about over the many episodes, things that could be done with this transceiver or any transceiver, any homebrew direct conversion um, transceiver, or not even direct conversion um, but what you what you could do with different uh, things along the way and I'll give you some ideas. And we had special pages off there. We'll continue that onward, probably through list uh, the discussions on the group, uh, the list serve, uh, the email list. And uh, a lot of these projects are of interest to me personally, to Joe personally. And uh, some of us here are taking individual projects and moving them forward. Just ways to increase the capabilities of, of a given uh, transceiver um, to extend its capabilities to make it easier to tune, maybe easier to hear, maybe uh, some extra newer technology to it. Somebody had mentioned, Joe, I don't know if you remember, oh, it had to be about a month ago, sometime during September, that somebody had mentioned, well, I'm not going to be putting any accessories, and I don't see any reason for putting accessories on the on the um the SW30. And there's a lot to be said for that point. But on the other hand, there's a lot of fun and experimentation that could happen on a low cost uh, little transceiver like this. And to play around it and extend its capabilities uh, is uh, often the name of the game, isn't it, Joe? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little slow getting accessories into it. I have a board working, but um haven't uh, done the accessories, but I got a bunch of ideas. Some other things I want to do. I want to incorporate an internal um, uh, five watt amp, maybe the K5 BCQ, maybe something else, but with um, automatic um, TR switching to uh, switch it in and switch it out, not having to have um, any DC bias there. And a couple ideas for keyers. Um, haven't decided to go with the DDS yet or uh, frequency control. Stick with the uh, the uh, straight uh, linear tuning, but I do want to add um, RIT, receiver uh, uh, incremental tuning. I think that's a great addition. Um, lots of opportunities. And, of course, I want to stick an internal battery in there, make it nice for reportable operations indeed. Oh, yeah. You, uh, you especially this year, have been epitomizing the field operator with all of your uh, National Park on the Air work out in the field. And uh, kudos to you on doing that. And boy, I'll tell you, maybe uh, later on we can talk another episode or who knows what. We can really kind of focus on lessons learned and operating from the field and uh, things like that from an antenna's perspective, a rig perspective. Uh, 
running dry on your batteries perspective, or whatever may be the case. And uh, yeah, adding a battery to this. In fact, I'm looking at the little rechargeable LiPo battery that we have photo um, um, indicated in the in the graphic there. And those things are really nice and small and, and lightweight, a lot of power for the uh, surface area, so to speak, or the surface volume. I guess Samsung can really t um, talk about that, can't they, Joe? You could say it's a hot topic with them. Yeah, I just returned my Note 7. Um, it was ironic when I bought it, my uh, my son blew a time bomb. Boy, was that prophetic. Now, is that the new one that you just bought? Yeah, yeah, they've recalled it, and they've particularly canceled the product now because they had so many problems. Oh, my gosh. Background for you, everybody here on site or on the on the uh, program here tonight is that uh, Joe bought a really nice new Samsung Note, Note 7, I think, and... Um, it is, I saw it, I saw it the other day, Joe and I had a, an SBI lunch, just an off the, off the spur of the moment kind of get together over food, chatting about our different projects, and you showed me that thing, and that was really nice. But then, of course, uh, we uh, started surfacing the different videos of the darn thing catching on fire. Don't, don't you hate it when that happens, but oh well, I guess some of the, you got to be careful with the LiPo batteries or some of the newer technologies. Um, Joe, I'm looking down at um, the block diagram, the one that's uh, with the blue, the blue component uh, blocks. Well, I'm wondering if if you can. Uh, this is just off the off the cuff here, and we hadn't prepared this, but if you could give us a brief walkthrough, kind of like where we've been from the block diagram perspective, you know, starting with the VFO and and then kind of progressing out to the uh, um, in one direction for the receive and the transmit, and then ultimately we're wrapping up, uh, kind of rounding the horn here. Sure. Yeah, the uh, well, the block diagram is really kind of self-explanatory for those who've been through it before, but um, the um, the radio itself is a super heterodyne. It has, uh, has uh, uh, multiple functions in it that uh, are really integrated to make it handy as a transceiver, uh, tran transmitter and receiver integrated together. Um, Coming into the antenna, there's a bandpass cylinder that is used for um, both the um, uh, transmit and receive. Um, and on the um, there is a, a VFO in the middle that tunes basically 2.4 to 2.44 uh, megahertz. Um, that is then heterodyned, and the transmitter it's heterodyned with a uh, uh, crystal oscillator. It's part of a transmit mixer. Um, to give exactly uh, 10 megahertz out um, in the receiver um, in the receiver beginning of the receiver there's a receive mixer that uh, was one of the early uh, early uh, uh, stages of construction that uh, mixes with the uh, 10.1 megahertz RF coming in mixes with the 2.4 megahertz uh, VFO and outputs an IF that's in the area of 7.68 uh, megahertz through a crystal filter uh, crystal filter um, is a fixed frequency, a narrow band to cover CW, which then goes through a product detector, which has another oscillator at about 7.68 megahertz, offset a little bit to give you the proper CW note uh, somewhere in the region of uh, 700 hertz, as I recall. And uh, then that outputs audio, and uh, the audio amp will be the last thing we'll describe uh, here tonight. But in the construction, um, there was a fork after uh, after a little bit of the receiver was built where the uh, construction um, took the output of the uh, uh, transmit mixer and fed it through a couple uh, RF amplifier stages, a um, preamp, so to speak, a buffer amplifier, and then into an output um, uh, power amplifier. 
to uh, to go out the uh, uh, antenna port. Not shown in this block diagram is a handy-dandy, uh, uh, handy, handy dandy, clever um, LC filter and back-to-back um, uh, -back diodes, which um, do the transmit-receive switching, switch the antenna through the output filtering uh, to transmitter or receiver. Uh, or design to um, to not fry the receiver with the output uh, transmitter output, but um, to be able to connect the two without any extra switching, without any manual switching. As I say, we'll discuss the remainder of the audio chain tonight, but uh, the output of the product detector is at audio. There's some filtering in a um, preamp and then a um, an output uh, bandpass filter, which is uh, half an op-amp to go to uh, the audio output, which is intended for um, uh, headphones. Uh, and as George mentioned, one of the additions you can uh, do in augmenting the uh, radio is to put a power amplifier on there, on the audio, so that you can drive a speaker. Um, many of us have done that. I shy away from it because most of the time I use headphones. But, uh, you know, be that as it may, um, the radio drives headphones quite well. And uh, as I say, we'll finish up the circuit description, the construction with the, uh, the audio lamp this evening, the two uh, headphones. Yeah, good overview, Joe. Thanks. Another couple of, uh, well, I like when you pointed out the, uh, the limiter on the, uh, with those back-to-back -back diodes. Those are, that, that's a common technique, but a very effective technique. And the way that it operates in concert with uh, the incoming signal and the outgoing signal is, is really kind of interesting. And, um, it, it's, uh, we went through that part in one of the prior episodes and, it certainly would be worthy of uh, review for anybody kind of understanding the, the rig's operation. Another section or small part that we didn't uh, talk about, nor were we really going to today, is the uh, the mute switch, another common technique that um, works out quite well. And um, if you all go down to the bottom of the, the whiteboard, you would see the typical place where we have uh, the schematic. Every episode's whiteboard has a schematic there, and you would see the different components uh, at the actual the actual blocks um, shown in the schematic with the actual components there too. And you would see the mute in the kind of the upper right hand corner between the two op amp uh, halves U4. And um, yeah, we'll I think we'll get a chance to to talk about that here. But I wanted to point that out as another. I'm looking over the schematic here, and there's there's all sorts of clever dead, clever circuit configurations and and uh, uses uh, that we've covered in the past. A review of our prior episodes, um, the PDF or the uh, not the PDF, but the um, the podcasts would be an interesting uh, collection to to keep on hand if you're ever going to go through this with this transceiver again or or another it's, it's uh, a lot of the techniques are used in even today's designs um as so i look down our our cast of uh listeners here on online real time with us i'm i'm impressed by all you guys who have made it with us all the way along not just for the elmer 101 series but you guys have been with us for many years um leading up to this point and I, I look down at every one of you, um, just saying the call signs of E3GAM, um, 87JT, K2NI, um, oh gosh, Fred, W6MDL, of course, Mike, uh, WAABXN, Obi, you're a recent, uh, sort of a recent fellow, but you've been with us all the way along, KC4VZT, 
and uh, Pat W0BM, Ron W2CX, Armand WA1UQO, um, and I see JJ. Oh, JJ was in here. Where did he go? Uh, oh, shucks, because he has a new call sign. Joe, do you remember what uh, JJ's call sign is uh, now? Yeah, it's. Uh, I forget whether it's K or W, but it's his initials, J-E-J. He just got a vanity call sign when he upgraded to uh, extra class. Yeah, Joe Jessen, um, he was signed in just a moment ago, is uh, KC2VGI, uh, something like that. And, VGL uh, he, originally. Yeah, VGL. And uh, he just upgraded to, um, he just got his extra ticket and he got a, a call sign with his initials in it. It's a very, very nice one. So congratulations to him. JJ has been with us and he's been a guest uh, designer with us in the past as well, especially for the, the GPS series. So um, I look, I, I look down the cast, and I'm kind of proud of you guys. And I could also go through a list of the uh, the podcast listeners. And a little bit difficult to to keep track of you guys as much, but we do appreciate everybody who's been following the program over the years. And uh, we hope that we've been providing some really good material that you enjoy. Oh, and there's got to be another one in here. Where is um um oh shucks, it's uh, I can't find it. Is, oh, of course, L, uh, L is N-A-W-Q, but, um, oh, I can't think of his name. Well, we often talk with him out, offline, Joe, but he's not here with us today. He often vacations down in his uh, summer home area down in Savannah, Georgia. Anyways, so um, continuing on back to the theme here, I just wanted to kind of mention and, and I mentioned a note of appreciation to our, our uh, stalwart listeners. We have a, a good episode here today, and we're going to dive right in now to the uh, the audio output stage. I think I'm going to bypass, for the sake of time, the very first uh, part in the technical discussion is um, the um, selection of C7. There's a special select uh, section in the manual, <clears throat> both our manual and that of uh, Dave Benson's, um, where the selection of C7, those of you who put together the kit will remember that there was a C7A, B, C, D, E, and F, and um, all slightly different values that are enumerated in a in a chart that's shown here at the at the top of the technical discussion uh, area, and and we uh, we kind of concluded that we're talking about it at this point because that's where the manuals had it that it's a discussion that has to do with alignment. So um, for reasons that we won't get into right now, one had an opportunity if your rig did not come right out upon the Kind of at the lowest level tuning, you know, uh, the most counterclockwise uh, setting for your control of 10.100 megahertz. Um, it would um, the addition of a capacitor would tend to offset the um, the bias, the frequency bias that was exhibited in your particular um, building uh, construction. So that's uh, that's why this section is here. And per usual, um, and again with Tremendous kudos to um, Mike WA8BXN for his tireless work and really providing the backbone of documenta- documenting this entire project with us. And we incorporated so many of his notes in his original documents into the manual and some of the other things that we have, resources that we have available. For each of the different sections, Mike presents a uh, what, what I call when we put the whiteboard together each week, the uh, the WA8BXN notes. So it's almost guidance to the builder. Many of you have complimented Mike on the thoroughness that he did and, and the extra the extra mile that he took in order to really describe what how things are working and, and so on. 
So even here in this section about selection of C7, Mike went and he actually described, uh, you know, like what uh, what his selections were, which I think you didn't have any, you didn't have a need to put anything um, anything out of the ordinary in there, Mike. Yours was like mine was kind of dead nuts on uh, the 10.1 uh, megahertz uh, on the low end. And then we remember that we tuned 35 kilohertz. So 10.1 to 10.135 is the range for the um, for the uh, for the transceiver. So, um, does anybody um, have any questions about this particular area? Then I don't know how many of you. Uh, I've forgotten how many of you actually built up the transceiver. Did um, Joe or or um, oh JJ's back online? Good. Um, and Dave eighty seven JT and Mike. You um, did anybody have something besides? Did did anybody have to implement C seven differently, uh, kind of according to this chart? Mine came out sort of in between. I'm going to have to go back and do some fine tuning. I wound up with uh, ten point one one four to ten point one four three, and I'd like to get down closer to ten zero. Okay, and you'll you you haven't done that um, adjustment yet by putting a different value in for C seven. Well, it's the, it turns out it takes something uh, different than the ones in the list there. I'm going to have to play with it. But what I did do, with a little forethought, I, I, I put a socket in to plug the capacitor into so I can change it at will. Well, that's right. I remember that now. That was very clever, very convenient, too, as long as it doesn't come out later on. But even when you do find the right one, you might even be able to solder. Depending on the kind of socket that you used, you could almost solder Right to that, um, the machine, what do they call them, Joe, the machine pin sockets, IC sockets. You can solder right to those things when you're all done. Yeah, but I figured I would probably, yeah. if I wanted to cover the whole band, I would I'd have two capacitors with me anyway. And I'd start out by plugging it in and getting to before I got going. Yeah, and Joe, I think you were just affirming that the machine pin sockets were the type I was referring to, right? That's affirmative, and uh, it it really doesn't do you much good to go much above um, 10.135 because everything um, above 10.14 uh, by by common practice is digital, and um, there's not really too much above 10.13. So practically speaking, going 10.1 to 10.135 covers about 99% of the uh, the activity on the band for uh, CW. Yeah, and we wouldn't want to use this for uh, our output final is not appropriate for digital operations for reasons that we're going to talk a little bit about today, kind of the meat of the program. Um, just uh, kind of a show of hands with, with your PTT button, perhaps. How many of us right here have either started or um, even completed the um, the buildup of your SW30? Okay, good. I see four or five. Excellent. Excellent, and I, we do know that some of our others are not uh, are not with us here today. That they that they have been some finished too. Well, good. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit downstream. But Joe, let's get into the uh, into the audio output. And a reminder to everybody, as we always do remind. I mean, it's pretty tired listening to us talk straight through in a kind of a monologue or even just a bylog. <laughs> um, uh, format. So if you have questions or something else piques your interest, uh, tap your PTT button or just raise your uh, voice and we'll, we'll dial you into the conversation as well. But Joe, um, the audio output is um, kind of a standard configuration of, of uh, an op amp. Um, and um, I don't know if you wanted to, it's here shown at part 12 audio output, the section called part 12 audio output on our whiteboard. 
And the description is there. And by the way, I must note that as in the past episodes, we've taken a lot of our some very good descriptions that were done by David Eck, N0EK or N David Eck, and uh, uh, what he calls the X Files. And uh, he's just done a great job with one of the references that we've listed there a PPT, a PowerPoint slide deck that chronicles stage by stage the buildup. And as we've said before, there are many resources that people have put together for the Elmer 101 series that this thing is. Um, um, is doing again, we're doing yet another, uh, but with a very specific purpose in mind and a, and a format. But take a look at Dave's. He's done, in my opinion, it's, it's just an excellent uh, document that can be used for longer term reference. So, Joe, you want to describe a little bit of the audio frequency final stage there? Certainly. As George mentioned, it's, um, it's an op amp. It's um, something not designed really to drive uh, volts out. It's intended to drive headphones so uh, it doesn't have a lot of oomph. Uh, an op-amp is adequate for that. Um, it's biased. Well, I'm not going to go into the biasing because that's kind of dull. But at any rate, it's it's biased in the middle of the uh, the operating voltage range by a bunch of resistors. And it, it has a gain set by um, R10 and R13. Um, there's another wrinkle to it, though. Instead of a straight uh, inverting amplifier, it has a couple capacitors in there. Um, C25 and C26, which um, give it a little bit of a bandpass characteristic, a little peaking of the audio uh, spectrum to um, to peak in at about 800 hertz to uh, to uh, eliminate noise and to accentuate the uh, uh, CW signals, uh, since this is intended as a uh, CW receiver. So the addition of those uh, couple capacitors there um, peak up the um, 800 hertz region of the audio spectrum and uh, roll off the high and low end to um, to make it a little easier to listen to. The rest of the components are fairly standard, nothing uh, really uh, interesting about them, except perhaps R14, the 10 ohm resistor on the output. You might wonder why the heck it's there. It's not for impedance matching. It serves a couple purposes. Number one, sometimes op amps, if you try to drive a, um, a funky load, they'll tend to oscillate. So it doesn't hurt to stick a little resistance in there to, uh, to minimize the possibility of oscillation. And uh, in addition, it provides some short circuit protection. If you should ac- uh, accidentally short circuit the thing to ground, it prevents a l- presents a little bit of short circuit protection on the output. And who among us has not inadvertently, uh, you know, stuck a key in a uh, audio jack or vice versa and keyed up and uh, um, there's a potential for frying something. So just a little added wrinkle with um, with R14 there. And um, that's the circuit. If if you want, um, as George mentioned and I mentioned earlier, if you want to drive a speaker, it pays to put something like a little LM386 amplifier on there to give you a little more oomph to uh, drive the speaker to uh, several volts um, so that you can hear it in the shack without having to uh, have the headphones uh, round your neck or uh, earbuds and look like um, one of the millennials these days. <laughs> the um, Joe, what would you say the output impedance of U4 is and how is it established? Looking for the push-to-talk switch. But actually... Um, for a small signal, the output is uh, on the order of only a couple ohms. However, if you try to drive a, um, a, a voltage much higher than 100 millivolts or so, there's some self-limiting in there, and it tends to be on the order of uh, 
couple hundred or a thousand ohms just by the circuit, the internal circuit topology. There's nothing really in here that uh, sets the uh, the output impedance. It's basically the uh, current handling capability of the circuitry internal to the op amp. Okay, the reason I was getting at this is because we say that the output is uh, roughly 10 ohms. We have an R14 of 10 ohms there in series with, with the output. You would recall in our DDS-60 project, um, we were, um, gosh, now I can't remember if we had something there and we didn't have something or we put it there or vice versa, but we put a, or there was a 50 ohm resistor placed in the position of R14 shown here. And we did that as an effort to establish a 50 ohm impedance to uh, an output impedance from the op-amp stage. Uh, as it entered into the reflectometer for um, for the Micro 908 and some other projects. So that resistor R14, I was thinking, might help us indeed establish an output impedance of, uh, of 10 ohms uh, to more effectively set the optimal power transfer for uh, headphones going uh, that would be plugged into it. Uh, I got to be pedagogical, pedagogical, Ped pedagogical. Geez, I don't want to be pedagogical. That's bad. Ah, uh, that's that's a big word for a little girl like you. Anyway, that's an old joke. No, uh, in audio circles, um, most of the time you have a very low output impedance to drive speakers, and it's generally not impedance matched. Whereas in RF circuitry, uh, you try to match to uh, 50 ohms or something else. But um, in audio, it's generally not done. Uh, not since the old tube days. Once everything went to solid state, um, audio matching, at least at uh, high power levels, is uh, is out the door. You have a low impedance driver and you drive the speakers with whatever you got. When you're talking about low level um, audio, they generally operate with 600 ohms and it is a matched system. So got to put on my engineer's hat and uh, uh, clear the air there. Okay. So uh, that, uh, that clears that right up. Uh Peta, peta something, uh, speaking, of course. That's good. Um, any questions about the audio output stage? Um, did anybody have any problems at this stage not getting the signal out? You had something coming in, you know, previous to this is the, um, oh, previous to this is the, is the FET, um, switch. It's the, uh, the mute switch. But first of all, has anybody, did anybody have any problems in this area getting, getting the signal to be ultimately coming out or did it all work right after you put it together? All right. It worked first off for me too. I was, uh, taking special care to do really good as to, to follow the assembly steps and be really cautious about that. Um, Dave's uh, schematic and the instructions that uh, we we um, we lifted and augmented that Mike augmented for us were just spot on. So I didn't have any trouble and uh, I didn't have any trouble actually with the entire circuit. But there were some good questions that came up on the list along the way. Again, if you all go down to the um, the schematic at the bottom of the page of the of the whiteboard, you would see the mute switch Q1. And what it does when turned on, it shorts the, essentially shorts the value R9 and effectively puts a, um, it, um, puts a higher gain into the audio path, allows the audio path to have a higher gain and thus you, you hear it. 
when it is turned off, that R9 is in the circuit and effectively produces a lower level signal. Joe, any comments on the mute switch there? We've we've seen that circuit, oh, in a whole bunch of different designs along over the years. Yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah, it, it is uh, another bit of cleverness that's been thrown into um, uh, rigs these days. Um, uh, as George mentioned, with the uh, with the switch turned on when you're receiving the uh, the FET turned on, um, it's almost a dead short circuit from the uh, AF preamp to the uh, final, so you get full audio through. But when the switch is turned off, the FET switch is turned off. R9 presents a high impedance there to the audio coming through, and um, it's a trick to get a side tone. It feeds the receiver audio from the transmitter signal. Um, and reduces the level so that you don't blast the audio in the headphones. You get the beat frequency between the um, uh, receiver BFO and the transmitter signal that comes through the receiver to produce a uh, side tone so that you hear a note at um, audio frequencies so you can hear your key. Clever, uh, clever thing with just a couple components, but it works very well. One other wrinkle there, C24 on the base of uh, Q1 allows the... Uh, uh, switch to uh, turn on and off slowly so that you don't get a switching thump when you go between transmit and receive. Some early rigs did not put that uh, capacitor in there, and there was an audible thump in the side tone when you went from transmit to receive. But uh, the slow down, slowing down of uh, the control signal by that capacitor eliminates that, uh, that audio thump. People who built the um, 38 Special, noticed an audio thump because it didn't have uh, something in there to slowly on and off the uh, mute switch. That's funny. I didn't know <clears throat> I didn't know if you were going to say the 38 special but I had that I had to rack my brain in order to uh to think of that. I was thinking S38 oh, well, 38 special. That was one of the early that's where I kind of plugged into the as a designer to the um to the QRP scene. I was with it many times a number of years before that just building and replicating circuits and following along uh, with with great interest. But the S30, the 38 Special was one of the early ones that I, that it was a kind of a common problem, if you recall, Joe. I mean, there were, and the solution was not very well known. It was not very well understood. And it was kind of fun following the discussion and doing your own experimenting on the bench and what could, you know, we were doing audiophile comparisons of the thump, and it actually sounded like a thump when it was, uh, when the key would be, um, I guess when a key would be released, I think, and um, you would hear it. So it was uh, a, great, a subject of great study. If you ever get a chance and you truly don't have anything to do <clears throat> um, over uh, on a rainy Saturday afternoon, search the archives of QRPL and Back in the year 1997, I think, and that would have been the time frame. Anyways, that was uh, that was the year that was, so to speak. Um, and JJ, you are、uh, you back online? Congratulations for the new call. You're gonna have to update your、uh, your name here on the on the Teamspeak client. It's a、uh, W2JEJ. Is that correct? Yep, that's right, George. I got my vanity W2JEJ. Outstanding, outstanding on the call, but even more so on earning your、um, your extra class ticket. Oh, that's just terrific. Uh, J- uh, uh, Joe um, is a um, 
uh, is a, an adjunct professor at the New Jersey College. Is that right, Joe? Yeah, the college in New Jersey. That's right. And, and JJ has all sorts of different, uh, really cool classes. I wish I lived closer and I wish that I had the time to, uh, to really attend some of the things that, uh, Professor Jessen does there with his students. And it's just, uh, a lot of fun. And, and by the way, of course, uh, also there at the College of New Jersey is Dr. Al Katz. Um, what's Al's, uh, call sign, Joe? Anyways, it's K2, I don't know what his call sign is, but he's very prolific, very well known in the, um, uh, the, the ARRL circles and very specifically, um, in the microwave region. And so he's, uh, Al Katz is, uh, is kind of, uh, he's another professor there at the, at the school and, and we enjoy kind of getting together with both of them from time to time. So, uh, hey George, so, just a quickie. Uh, yeah, Joe, go ahead. Um, might be of interest if JJ could, um, elucidate a little bit on what Katz is doing in the double E program to uh, urge the students to get very practical. Could you give a um, 30 second synopsis of that, JJ? Sure. He's um, he's giving a freshman class on uh, ham radio, and uh, he's got uh, I'd say about 20 about 20 students, and um, it's all very interesting. He's uh, they have to pass a technician license. <laughs> That's about 30 seconds. Good job. And uh, it's not often that you see um, amateur radio class being taught as part of the regular curriculum there in uh, colleges these days. And uh, kudos to to uh, to Al Katz for that. Uh, JJ, now that I got your attention, what's uh, what's Katz's call sign? Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. I have to uh, draw on a blank right now. Okay, no worries. All right, back to the uh, back to the main thread. We're going to get now into the transmitter output. This uh, the transmitter final is a uh, perennial topic of great interest among the community. We all have great interest in in uh, what kind of a power amplifier we're doing, and it's great mystery as well. The mystery of class A, class B, and what are the differences, and which is more efficient. And then if you're confused. Or if you're not confused enough about class A and class B, there's even a class AB. So what the heck is that? And then, of course, most of us are familiar in the QRP circles with class C. And why, you might ask? Well, just continue listening here. So what we did, um, Joe and I, is we put together a bit of a chart uh, that summarizes the... Um, the characteristics of the different classes of operation, and um, it's kind of handy to, to keep this in um, in the in the following charts for the, the 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 four different modes that we or the four different classes of amplifiers that we that we talk about, because we often hear about the class amplifier that so and so is running, or I was trying this but I wasn't getting great linearity, and oh well that's because you didn't do this and it was biased wrong and. You know, and I look at the class A, B waveform and I say, how the heck can that have um, as great linearity as it does when you don't even have the, the bottom half of the signal, all of the bottom half of the signal? So what we thought we would do is kind of uh, 
kind of surf along the high points, kind of in a mogul skiing fashion, and uh, touch on some of these points. And we put together these discussion points that we can use and reference as we're talking, looking at the different uh, schematics that represent the classes of operation. And uh, the schematics are pretty self-apparent once once we kind of get it grounded in them. And then, of course, we'll get into analyzing the final amplifier for the, uh, the SW30. So, Joe, I mean, we didn't really rehearse this too much at all. <laughs> Not that we ever rehearsed much um, for the program here, but um, maybe you want to start off the conversation. And what I'll do is I'll ask uh, you. You can be the Tommy Smothers. No, you can be the Dickie Smothers and I'll be the Tommy Smothers and ask the uh, those kinds of questions. Darn, I, I keep wanting to push my uh, mouse button instead of the push to talk switch. Yeah, thank you, George. Yeah, this is some uh, stuff from um, electronics tutorials on the uh, on the web. Um, it kind of is um, kind of a mix between uh, audio and uh, and RF. So the circuits are are very basic. They uh, they don't really address RF, but principles are the same. Um, various classes of amplifiers, as George mentioned, are um, um, general classes are A, B, A, B, and C, as indicated in the uh, uh, in the chart in Table One. And I'm not sure what the devil LCA means in the table. Never did figure that out. But um, there's a, a summary of the characteristics of the uh, uh, of the amplifier types. Um, they they have fidelity, which applies to audio, uh, not so much RF. Um, where the uh, class A is excellent, B is medium, A, B is good, C is poor. Um, we'll address that a little bit later. Power efficiency, um, poor, good, fair, good. Uh, ease of implementation is uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, huh. that's, uh, that's to be determined. Um, but what's most interesting here is the power capability. Um, because the uh, if you look at the class A circuit, uh, you see a single transistor there that is biased in the middle of its operating range, but it's drawing current all the time. And um, the uh, input signal swings the voltage on the output from ground basically up to uh, VCC, up to the operating voltage. So it always is bi biased in the middle. So it's always drawing current. And that current happens to be half the available output power. So it's inefficient. Um, in terms of efficiency, if you look at the uh, class B transistor stage um, there with the two transistors, one NPN and one PNP, um, what it does is it biases the transistors um, in the middle. When the, when the audio swings positive, it turns on the top transistor, produces an output voltage, um, but only when the signal is swinging plus. Uh, it's not really shown well in this uh, diagram, but... Uh, the negative half of the signal turns on the bottom transistor. So then it supplies the other half of the sine wave. Kind of a little hard to see from that diagram, but it's a push-pull circuit. So that one transistor operates on half the um, sine wave. The other transistor operates on the other half of the sine wave. Uh, so neither one is biased on except when they're working. So it tends to be higher efficiency. You're not wasting bias uh, current going through either transistor. The disadvantage is there's a, um, uh, a null region in between because of the, uh, the base emitter drop of the transistors where there's a, uh, a region of voltage um, in between on the sine wave where neither transistor is, is on. So there's what's called crossover distortion at the middle of the sine wave. Um, so you do get a little more distortion there. 
Um, class that's something AB that could actually, is very similar. Sorry, Joe, Go that's ahead. something that could actually be measured then, uh, both in the audio, if you have like an audio distortion meter. Um, but at RF, how would you determine um, uh, crossover distortion? Actually, the easiest way is to look at the output on a um, on an oscilloscope. You'll see um, the positive and negative peaks of the sine wave with kind of a dead region uh, in between, a, a flat region in between, and that's the crossover distortion. If you look at it in the frequency domain, you'll see harmonics being generated instead of a pure uh, single frequency signal. Ah, okay, well, that makes sense. And I'm just kind of um, looking ahead there to class A, B. And that's the one, I'm not sure if I said class B or class A, B, that it was a puzzlement to me, but it was obviously class A, B, where we see the uh, the chopped off negative um, half cycle. But much in, I don't know if it's much like it, but uh, in a manner similar to the way that you used diodes to offset the measurement in a reflectometer, um, the op-amp, uh, you, you used the diode to essentially counter <clears throat> counter the effect of a diode drop in the input of the op, uh, circuit to the op amp. Is does that diode that is used uh, on each half cycle or for each transistor? Does those diodes operate in the same manner, at least in the to sort of counter the uh, the base emitter um, drops of the transistors? Yeah, it's a similar principle. You use uh, a feedback, the reflectometer uses a feedback uh, diode to um, um, offset the input of the op amp to uh, counter the nonlinearity of the, uh, the detector diode. Uh, in the class AB amplifier, there is a small bias applied to uh, both transistors so that um, neither transistor is turned off when the um, uh, signal goes to the middle of the sine wave. Um, each one is on um, all of the time. Uh, so you get a smooth transition between the, the uh, positive and negative parts of the, uh, uh, of the sine wave with a, a decreased amount of uh, uh, crossover distortion because both transistors are on. You don't get that flat spot in between. The diagram's a little misleading, but the idea is that neither transistor, um, it switches very smoothly from the top transistor to the bottom transistor when the, uh, uh, when the input signal goes through uh, the middle region um, by, by virtue of having the uh, transistors biased on a little bit. Uh, the downside is a little decrease in efficiency of the AB amplifier. But it gives a lot better uh, uh, distortion performance than the um, straight class B with only a little uh, added circuit complexity and a minor uh, decrease in efficiency. I see. That, that's interesting. Can you can you uh, come up with an example in the RF world and maybe even with our circuits that we're familiar with here or uh, classic designs of, of um, in some of the transceivers, maybe even professional ones that we or commercial ones that we use. Where is Class A used typically? Class B used typically, and Class A B. Um, these are very linear uh, modes and or classes of operation. And um, I'm wondering if you can cite examples in the RF world where they are used. Yeah, off the top of my head, uh, a little bit. 
Class A is generally used for uh, uh, simplicity in low-level circuits, where a little like uh, buffer amplifiers uh, and uh, preamps, where the efficiency you're not operating at high power, so a little bit of efficiency, uh, you know, decrease in efficiency doesn't hurt, and you have very linear operation. Um, class B and AB are used in uh, push-pull amplifiers. RF uh, amplifiers and uh, sometimes audio amps. B is not used as much these days because um, with a little little different wrinkle, um, you can use, instead of using uh, PNP and NPN transistors, as these examples do, you can use uh, straight uh, NPN transistors with um, coupling transformers to couple the input and the output and use a single uh, diode that is uh, biased to turn um, both transistors on at the same time. If you look at the output stages of the Elecraft um, um, radios, that um, at least the uh, higher power Elecraft radios, they generally use the AB configuration with a little bit of a, a diode bias fed to the uh, push-pull transistors to turn them on for the, uh, um, for the linearity in the crossover region. Okay, that makes sense. And um, what I'm wondering is, um, I've often seen, especially in some of the transistor or the yeah the transistor power amplifiers that we see circuits uh, published for, even up in the VHF range, um, that use MOSFETs instead of uh, bipolar transistors in a push-pull type of scenario. In fact, I was just trying to search for. Um, the section uh, or the the five watt amplifier that you referenced earlier from from case KC um, KK K5 BCQ. Um, I think he uses two transistors, maybe not, but anyways, I, I seem to recall MOSFETs being used. Am I correct? Yeah, I don't recall the specific circuit he uses. I think he may only use one um, and gives up a little bit of efficiency. But um, you don't have to worry about uh, um, crossover destroy. You don't have to worry about diode base emitter diode drop with a MOSFET. But you have to bias the thing on. And I think I think he may use a single transistor, just bias it in a linear region, and live with a little bit of uh, um, you know half half the power being wasted in the DC bias just to get the linearity out of it. Um, but I don't recall specifically. Other guys with uh, little higher power MOSFET amps do that. Um, they use all uh, N-type transistors, that is NFET MOSFETs, and they bias them on with um, with a DC voltage so that they're tickled a little bit and um, coupled with uh, um, broadband transformers so that they do operate in uh, class AB with, uh, with very little uh, distortion. Okay, that makes sense. Let's move on to class C. I think class C is... Um what we are probably most familiar with, and um, it leads right into the, uh, the specific output amplifier being used in the SW30. So um, how about uh, how about that uh, SC, that parallel resonance circuit? Uh, tell us about that, Joe. Sure. Yeah, the Class C is uh, is used at RF, and um, I don't know of any instances of it being used at other than RF. The idea is that um, you you turn the transistor on for only a portion of the uh, of the RF cycle, um, and uh, it, it draws current for that portion of the cycle. You can drive it pretty hard so that the output uh, will swing from uh, ground when the transistor is turned on to um, the uh, positive supply voltage, 
And uh, if you look at the graph there to the right of the red line, there's a little positive peak. That positive peak is the uh, the output at the collector, where it's only a part of the uh, the RF cycle. However, as George mentioned, there is a parallel resonance circuit here. What that does is it supplies the other half of the cycle so that you get a sine wave output. Now, there's a, there is some distortion because you're only driving it with uh, part of the sine wave. So um, you get very good efficiency because the transistor is only turned on um, when it's supplying power. It's turned off and uh, part of the, uh, uh, part of the uh, RF cycle. Um, so it's only active when it's actually supplying power. Um, the detriment is, of course, the distortion I mentioned, but uh, in general, um, the, uh, the impedance is low enough that in uh, transistor circuits, you would follow the output with a low-pass filter to suppress the harmonics. If you look at the circuit below, which is reproduced from the uh, SW30, Q6 is the output uh, uh, amplifier transistor. It's driven with a sine wave through C35. The positive half cycle turns the transistor on and it draws current. The negative half cycle is uh, clipped by D6. The reason for this is you can't pass DC through a coupling capacitor. So having um, having the D6 there allows the negative half cycle to uh, pass through the coupling cap. Um, the output uh, does not go to a tuned circuit, but it goes through um, the LC ladder filter, the low-pass filter formed by uh, L3, L4, and the associated capacitors there to uh, clean up the sine wave, to give you a good clean sine wave. Now, the wrinkle that's in this circuit is the collector is fed through a um, uh, choke to give a high impedance so that the, um, uh, the filtering can uh, take place. And uh, you don't have anything, you don't have any impedance, any low impedance in the collector circuit to load down the uh, uh, load down the uh, tuning uh, of the low-pass filter and to uh, waste any power. Yet another wrinkle is the uh, uh, Zener diode D12 that's on the output of Q6. If the uh, circuit is open-circuited, if for whatever reason your antenna goes to high uh, high impedance, um, when the transistor turns off, you would get a uh, high inductive spike through the inductor L2 that could zap the output transistor. What the, the uh, Zener diode does is that it clamps the voltage at the collector, the transistor, in a high SWR situation so that it doesn't go high enough to, uh, to zap the, uh, the transistor output. Again, a very simple addition, but uh, something that makes the uh, circuit a heck of a lot more robust. Boy, that's another trick that uh, Dave Benson brought to the table here. Um, at least for this transceiver, I'm not. It, it probably was used elsewhere, of course, beforehand. But uh, I see an accumulation of all sorts of nifty tricks, which is one thing that made the this um, design, the SW30, uh, the SW class, the SW30, the 40, and, and so on, um, class of uh, transceivers, so very instructive in nature by nature. And then the Elmer 101 series really covers it uh, quite nicely. You know, the, uh, you know, we're all, I think, most common, uh, we mostly understand um, this Class C operation, much as illustrated right here in the SW30. And, um, you know, we all talk about having the, you know, the output filter. It's a, you know, an X 
pole elliptic filter. Um, I'm not sure, is this elliptic or not? Um, maybe not. But nonetheless, the, the output filter, L3, L4, plus the associated capacitors, are often thought just as um, impedance matching, of course. And, uh, you know, think of your ATU and you would be able to adjust those components to ideally um, get a, a good uh, match to your antenna, to the output stage of your transmitter. But as we've covered here in just a few minutes, we've, we've really illustrated how that transistor Q6 going on and off, on and off, um, at RF frequency um, is um, smoothed out by the resonance of the L3, L4. So, I mean, it's a different way of looking at existing components, and they actually perform a function that is not often thought to be um, being performed. So next time you're looking at your ATU, um, your antenna tuning unit, or considering some kind of an output filter, um, think back to here, and you'll understand a little bit uh, maybe more about its uh, its role within the uh, within the circuit. Um, golly, I'm looking through the circuit here, and uh, no other the no other. Uh, yeah, Mike, go ahead, please. Okay, uh, for one thing, uh, this low pass filter is just that. It's really not an impedance matching because if you look at C37, C39, they're both the same values. It's uh, two pi sections in series. The other thing that wasn't mentioned in talking about the different classes of amplifier, class C is not going to be uh, suitable for amplifying a sideband signal. Great for CW, great for FM, but uh, not for uh, sideband. Absolutely right. Um, not And hence also not good for digital is most, if not all, of the digital signals, besides Morse code, um, require an analog signal and processing of an analog signal. Um, and uh, you don't get an analog uh, or a linear type of signal. I'm going to say linear, not analog, um, coming out of this particular rig. Yeah, I, I think for like an RTTY signal, Class C is fine. Yep, yep. Um, I guess that is another form of digital or digital communications. Um, but certainly the PSK31 and 63 and um, all the other different modes that oftentimes we're talking about these days are um, are not able to be having not not able to be using a, a class C stage. Aren't those really more or less FM and probably would go through class C? I'm sorry, say the question again. Uh, the PSK modes, aren't they really uh, kind of an FM phase modulation? Uh, FM is about the same thing, and I think they would go through Class C. Uh, it's not suitable for Class C because it requires a linear um, a linear signal. It changes phases, you're right, at the zero crossover point, um, and the information is contained in the phase changes, but it requires an... Um, um, geez, the PSK31, Joe, uh, that uses a linear, a linear output trans, trans, uh, trans, uh, an output stage, right? Yeah, if you look at the um, um, phase shift um, modulation types, they have a an amplitude on uh, an amplitude envelope to them. They're not straight uh, RF on off. So indeed, you do need a linear amplifier to uh, pass them uh, uh, with fidelity. Um, Having dealt with uh, high-power satellite transmitters um, for the military, I can tell you that's absolutely the case. 
I'm not going to belabor it, but if you look at the discussion points, some of these uh, some of these issues are discussed in uh, in some terms there, and I'll consider it left to the interested student to uh, follow up for further study. All right. Any other questions here about the uh, about the output uh, the transmitter output stage? I mean, it's something that's kind of near and dear to our heart. Um, often it's not. Um, dissected uh, in in this particular manner at any rate. And although this is still a high level type of discussion, it's still of interest in um, understanding how it works. Any other questions along the lines here? Yeah, Dave, go ahead. Uh, quickly for Joe, uh, looking at your, your uh, schematics here, uh, looking at the class AB, it looks like that could be biased to actually deliver a class A. Is that how you would typically do a class A push-pull? No, you wouldn't want to do a class A push-pull because you'd lose the efficiency. They're usually uh, tickled just a little bit on, uh, just enough to uh, to minimize the crossover distortion. You could do a class A, but you'd be wasting a lot of power. No, I don't know if I understand that, but okay. <laughs> All righty. Um, what I wanted to do and kind of wrapping up the program was um, next kind of transition into a uh, – I don't know, uh, the kind of an operational perspective for the SW30. How do you use it kind of thing? I mean, obviously, you, you plug power in, you plug an antenna, you plug a key and headphones, and boom, there you're using it. But I'm wondering um, if any of you guys who previously indicated that, uh, you know, you had completed it and ostensibly got it onto the air, um, and maybe most notably, uh, uh, Mike, um, some of your observations from its use on the air, I mean, from a standpoint, um, you know, is it uh, is it a pleasure to use and tune in the, within the range? How much activity do you find on the t- on, on 30 meters in, in the range that this covers? Um, how <clears throat> how does it work with different antennas on this particular output? Uh, you know, the, uh, with this particular output stage, um, uh, how does it does it drift at all? I mean, any kind of an operational perspective that you might like to toss in, um, Mike? Go ahead. Okay, a lot of questions there. Uh, it's a two R two watt QRP radio, so kind of keep that in mind to begin with. Uh, drift wise, I, I didn't see any problems with that. Uh, band conditions uh, lately uh, <laughs> at times have been good, uh, many times poor. Uh, so if you put the thing on the air and uh, you don't get any contacts or hear anything, don't necessarily uh, assume that there's a problem with the radio. Uh, the reverse uh, beacon network can be a great way to kind of check, am I getting out even though there's no one else on the band at the time? Uh, the uh, tuning range, uh, I agree that uh, the lower 30 kcs or uh, kilohertz, I should say, uh, is uh, perfectly adequate for most operation. The one-turn pot works okay, has the nice advantage that you can kind of uh, put some calibration marks uh, for the different positions, which uh, frequency you're kind of close to. Uh, I was kind of worried about a 10-turn pot. Uh, it having to do a lot of cranking. I did try a 10-turn pot that does tune uh, much smoother and uh, does not take that long to go across the band, but you can't do the uh, marks on the dial, of course, uh, to what frequency you're on. If you've got a counter or a freak mic uh, to check your frequency, then uh, that'll work as well. So either pot would work. Uh, maybe if I had my choice, I'd look for a 5-turn pot just so it doesn't take so long to get across the band, uh, but you still have a little bit finer tuning. 
the radio sounds good uh, listening to it, uh, the receive part, uh, and uh, selectivity is adequate. Certainly it's not a contest uh, grade uh, receiver, but uh, it works and uh, is a fun little thing to play with now and then. Nice recap. I like that. I didn't realize I was just listing off the questions, but kind of like whatever came to mind and, and you, you hit them. We, there was a discussion, ooh, again, last month sometime about, uh, you know, I forgot who it was that was interested in, um, um, a multi-turn pot. And I actually pictured, um, as an attachment to the email, a couple of, um, vernier dials that I had that maybe, maybe not, I'll get a chance to do it. Um, to add to uh, the thing, but it seems to me that one of the concerns was a lot of cranking of the dial in order to make it through its range. But um, I don't know. If you, um, I don't know if you're a big user of, of 30 meters, Joe. Are you, um, or is anybody else? Uh, do most of the signals, or you know, our usage tend to hover around the CW uh, frequency of 10.116? Yeah, I will chime in here. Yes, generally um, a lot of the activity is in that frequency range. I've been on 30 for, for years, ever since it uh, first became um, uh, available to hams. I find it extremely handy, particularly on contest weekends, when um, um, you know the contesters are beating their heads against each other. Um, contesting is not allowed on 30, so people who... Um, um, don't want to beat their heads in contests, tend to congregate on 30 and the other WARC bands. So activity picks up then. And there is a, a good amount of activity on 30, around 10.116. I've used it, um, I've used it um, for the National Parks on the Air stuff um, on contest weekends. And um, I really do like it because um, it drives those people, those people over to 30 where I can uh, just pick them off quite well. And a note on the power level. Um, I generally run, run five watts for my national parks on the air. However, I have used uh, my five watt radio in the car with a uh, hamstick antenna, which is not very efficient. I don't think it's more than 20% efficient. So that means then that my five watts is more like a one watt signal. And when conditions are good, I have worked uh, coast to coast and into Europe on 30 meters with uh, with that setup, running a, an effective radiated power of one watt on uh, CW. It works quite well. Uh, was there somebody else in there? Yeah, JJ, go ahead. Oh, hi, George. Yeah, I just had to get situated. I got many things going on here at once, but uh, Alcats is K2UYH, Kilo 2 Uniform Yankee Hotel. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to add a little bit more about uh, the class. So we're starting... Um, we have uh, freshmen, basically, that we're starting into uh, ham radio, and we feel that's going to be very helpful for an engineering career. And, um, you know, so far, so good. And as I said, Al Katz is required. He wrote the syllabus for it, so he requires them to get the technician, uh, pass the technician license. And um, so all very good. Great. Thanks for that extra information. And by the way, now that you mentioned, of course, uh, Katz's call sign K2UYH is, uh, I should have remembered it. Again, there's, uh, he's very prolific in the, um, microwave communications, EME, uh, type of a low, uh, high gain, low, uh, EME, earth, moon, earth, uh, moon bounce. Um, and it's, uh, there's some great materials out there. If you search on his call or EME, you'll find a, a plethora 
of information that, that can be of interest um, for you. Great thing about the hobby is how many different aspects or dimensions there are for this here. This is so good. Um, back to the, oh, there was a comment about solar cycle. Well, I wrote down the note is solar cycle. Mike, you mentioned sometimes propagation is good, sometimes not. Um, and again, I come back to you, Joe. Um, you, you, you probably, maybe there are some others, but uh, you, you probably got some great experience on 10 meters. You sort of alluded to it. It can be good when the other, when the higher frequencies are not, and even when the lower frequencies are not. So it was more of a constant throughout the day. So based, um, um, based on that perspective, um, and, uh, can you comment on the solar cycle? I read someplace, uh, today earlier that, um, you know, we are in a great solar cycle or we in the time frame the last couple of years, perhaps has been, a uh, the peak of the solar cycle. Have I missed the boat there? Yeah, we're headed for the dip of the solar cycle now. Um, the uh, sunspot cycle, when um, the ionosphere doesn't get tickled much by the um, um, the uh, uh, stray particles, the uh, charged particles coming from the sun, generally um, the more sunspots there are, the more uh, energy comes um, in the form of um, charged particles and um, energizes the ionosphere so that the higher frequencies uh, um, become... Uh, uh, more reflective. It's complicated, but um, at the depths of the solar cycle, which we're headed for now, the sunspot cycle, the lower frequencies tend to be um, uh, optimized. They tend to work better than the higher frequencies. So far, 20 meters has been pretty good. Um, that's often the, the uh, workhorse for DX, but as sunspots uh, decrease, 30 meters will be uh, the top end, the maximum usable frequency more often so that um, it's good for not only fairly local stuff, but uh, DX as well. And um, that has been my experience. Even when uh, 20 tails off, 30 is generally pretty good, at least during a day, and uh, it's picking up more and more activity. Well, that's great information. I think yeah, we can pick up any of our handbooks and so on and read about uh, propagation, and um, it'll show 30 meter. Um, 30 meters is being pretty usable. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we really selected that band to be um, the, the focus here for this Elmer 101 version on chat with the designers. Um, hopefully this has been giving you guys some good ideas and good incentive to get the rig completed and get it on the air. And uh, maybe a little is a little bit more incentive. We've got the contest. Not too much has been mentioned about it only because we've had other stuff cooking, but um, we mentioned that the, um, we're going to have a bit of an evaluation, a contest evaluation for those of you who have completed your your uh, rig and just a little bit of a an attaboy thank you at the end of the process here for those who might have the coolest uh, um, build of uh, of the kit and maybe most accessorization and, and so on. We've seen Mike. Um, Mike, you've uh, thankfully thank thanks for that. We've you've published on your your um, your go station and and uh, uses combinations of of different components around the SW30 um, on the list and that that's great stuff and <clears throat> hopefully you, you'll allow us to kind of toss that into the mix for for consideration in the contest another one too that Dave is uh, Dave 87JT has been a little bit quiet in this area I mentioned it up front 
But um, Dave has also been doing some really cool stuff. Dave, could you just spend maybe 30 seconds and summarize kind of the cool things that that you've been um, attempting? I don't know if it's all working yet or not, but um, what have been what's been your approach? Uh, 87JT, are you there, Dave? Okay, so I'll speak for Dave. He's shown me some pictures. He's taken the top lid of the um, of the uh, enclosure, the red enclosure. He's put a piano hinge at the back end of it, and he's built into that lid a keyer with his push buttons. He's built into it an audio amplifier. I think based on the uh, the mighty the mighty something from the four state QRP group, a filter, that is, a filter. He's then put an audio amplifier in there too, and there's been, oh, a 5-watt amplifier. So those are the things he's put on um, the underside of the lid with the controls on the top, and it hinges up, and the wire cabling down below, and it's all just a very classy kind of uh, fun type of exercise that might be able to give you some other ideas. So um, those of you who haven't yet finished it, please, by the end of the month, which is another two, three weeks away, um, give it a shot and let us know, you know, just put a posting onto the list and, uh, Joe and I and Dave Benson are the judges and we'll give it just a look, see at your photos and, and maybe see it in action via Skype or some other, um, uh, some other video method just to, to see that it's, it's working and we'd love to showcase it and give you, give you a little bit of a prize for that. So that's the SW30 contest that still is in effect. There's a uh, web page that outlines the, the contest, and the link for that is at the top of our of our um, whiteboard here today in the comments that Joe and I offer at the at the start. So take a look at that and uh, a couple of nifty prizes if uh, if you'd like to participate, even if it's a standard design, kind of like a standard uh, implementation build up of the circuit board. Maybe you build it onto a breadboard. Maybe you build it onto like an L bracket for the front panel and the rear panel. Maybe you use the the um, the red uh, enclosure. There's routing of the wires and how you how neatly you did it all. All matters, and uh, it's kind of a nice way to conclude this uh, this overall exercise in the Elmer 101 series. So, um, any other concluding questions? I guess here at the end of the series. Um, at the end of the program here tonight. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be able to continue onward, uh, talking about this on the list and whatever forums we have going forward. But, uh, uh, does anybody have any concluding questions here for tonight? Yes, sir, Mike, go ahead. Well, I'd like to make the offer that anyone that has, uh, been building this and run into any problems, uh, that they haven't been able to, uh, uh, figure out, I'd be uh, very pleased to work with them on a one-to-one -one basis to uh, try to get them uh, past whatever uh, uh, hurdle they may have encountered. Hey, that's very generous of you, Mike. And uh, you've helped out a number of us all along here and appreciate that so far. And uh, the, the whole goal would be just very cool to get as many of these regs going as possible. The, the travesty would be if, if somebody bought the kit and threw it in the box in the back of their, uh, their, their basement and, uh, didn't build it up and learn from it. And the whole effort, the whole purpose of the Elmer 101 series was for that purpose. So, um, we hope you really give a shot at it. And even after the contest is closed, we had to put some, an end point to the contest anyways. 
Um, but even after it's closed, you know, we'll be around to talk about it and on the list and whatever, and Mike's available and just give a shout and we'll, we'll see if we can give you a hand for that. Hope everybody's really kind of learned a little bit, at least about some aspect of this. Nobody knows everything about everything. Um, so every, every day is a learning experience for me as a, as a designer. When I do a lot of the research and just reading stuff on the net and, Talking with my own Elmer, that's Joe in 2CX, about things. Uh, I learn something just about every single day, and that's that's part of the joy of ham radio, at least for me. Um, so, Joe, um, hope it's been a good show here for you today and a good series. I think I've enjoyed a lot kind of going through the circus here with you every, every week or every time that we've convened. And uh, hope it's been the same for you. But uh, why don't you take us home here tonight for the final episode here in the Elmer 101 series? Can I break one second, please? Oh, sure. Craig, I'm sorry. I didn't even see you here. And I also noted that Pat had a question, too. But, Craig, go ahead. Okay. If I could just say a word about the keyer. Uh, is that oh, appropriate at this time? Sure. Okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I was gone at the very beginning. I was over at some friend's house. So <clears throat> um, I did uh, – we're very – on the final stretches of uh, coming out with a new little keyer that will work very nicely in this rig. Uh, some of us built it. Uh, with a previous board that I had, but I've redesigned the board and made a smaller board that mounts inside the case very nicely. And uh, it's set up so that the user can use one, two, or three push buttons, depending on if he wants messages or not. Otherwise, he can run with just one push button if he wants to. Uh, it's going to be available through the Four States QRP Club very soon now. Uh, we're in the final stages of beta testing uh, with the team and uh, just doing a couple of very fine, uh, fine tweaks here on the last version. So we're there now. And and uh, we'll be coming out with it within, I'd say, by the time we get the parts built together, it'll probably be two weeks. But we're right at the very final stages. So that cure is going to be available at a very reasonable price. Uh, we haven't final settled, settled on the price, but something around $18 or so. Um, and uh, then it's going to be a real nice cure to go inside the box. A number of us have already built them in, and uh, it works really nicely. So that's going to be set to go here very shortly. Well, that's great news, Craig. Thank you so much for the design effort in that and for bringing it to uh, to market, as they say. Um, if it's not for guys like you, I mean, many of us would not have um, as much of the uh, different variety of things to build up on the bench and uh, to put to put to use um, with our our other. Uh, radios and components so we thank you i thank you all for uh for that great effort um oh and while while i have you um you do i have it right that you still have some blank enclosures left as we pictured on the website from time to time uh yes we do i still have uh i have them uh so they're certainly available from my webpage a0zz.com you can see it and uh order them through uh paypal there so yeah they're ready to go Oh, that's so good. And, and if you've, um, if you've not yet taken advantage of that, really do so. They will not be available forever. Trust me. And, uh, grabbing a couple and kind of making your plans to put some of your extra widgets and whatnot in there. It doesn't even have to be to go along with the SW30. You can go along with that. Just about anything else on the bench. I mean, I'm considering putting a, um, a small power meter into one here and, and an SWR meter as well, kind of coupling in nicely together, of course. So there's just a couple of ideas. And, and uh, some of you I know are working on Arduino circuits, and that's a, a pretty nifty thing to put in an enclosure 
um, no matter what it's controlling, whether it's a radio or a series of lights or whatever. So give some thought to that and go to Craig's website to see that. As I said, you won't regret it. Uh, Pat, um, what's on your mind here as we close down? Yep, actually, uh, Craig uh, uh, answered the question I was going to ask. I was wondering where the keyer was. Okay, good enough. And I invariably get a question after the show um, about the GPSDO project. That's going to be um, that'll that that's going to be brought to conclusion like really shortly. I know I say that all the time. But uh, just a matter of clearing out existing projects and getting getting things wrapped up. So just stay tuned to the list for that, and um, we'll soon have that motherboard and uh, the residual, the extra components, and still have the enclosure and the and the uh, the the T the v, <clears throat> the VCXO the circuit board at any rate. Um, all those things are still available. So we'll have those things enumerated on the, uh, the chat with the designers. Um, website in the project section. Any other questions before we break? It's gone over, but I think it's appropriate here at the end of the series. Any other questions? Okay, Joe, take us home, bud. Okay, I will. And and uh, I just got to throw in a little dig here, obligatory dig. Um, I remember in the uh, early days of personal computers, um, a lot of folks had uh, these special computers they were going to come out. And uh, the standard answer to when they were going to come out was real soon now. So I guess that GPS DO will be real soon now. Sorry about that. I just had to get that in. Anyway, tonight uh, has been the last segment in the uh, Elmer 101 series detailing the um, um, SW30 designed by uh, Dave Benson, 30-meter QRPCW transceiver. We've uh, tried to tie up some loose ends um, in it, uh, provided some technical description of the last parts of the circuit, the the, uh, output audio output stage and uh, discuss the um, uh, transmitter output as well. And as a sidelight or a side uh, note to that, try to provide a little discussion of um, power amplifiers, various classes of them, some um, uh, technical info at a fairly high level uh, to possibly get uh, some people uh, tuned in to uh, what's involved in uh, choosing which uh, type of amplifier, which class of amplifier. And there's also some some notes to go along with it for um, those who may be interested to uh, further follow up on uh, doing that. Um, we uh, heartfully or thankfully acknowledge uh, uh, Mike WA8BXN, who's done a bang-up job in assisting with the uh, SW30 project, um, doing write-ups, descriptions, and um, uh, giving us the benefit of his experience in building and uh, testing and uh, expanding his uh, SW30, making it into a uh, neat little project. Thank you all for participating. Uh, stay with the project on the Chat with the Designers uh, pages and um, uh, consider the contest. Uh, we certainly would like to uh, have all of you involved, and um, any of us uh, involved would be glad to uh, provide uh, um, some discussion and uh, possibly assistance in uh, in getting yours working and uh, describing what's uh, what's in it so that you can uh, get a little more uh, a little more confidence in understanding uh, what this ham radio stuff is all about. Thank you all, and um, see you in the future. 7-3, this is N2CX out. Thanks, Joe, and good night, everybody. I'm going to unplug as well.